Demetrius grew up in a small town called Conway in the northeastern part of North Carolina. He hated math, which drove him to history and debate classes. Seeing his deep interest in those classes, his high school teacher inspired Demetrius to get into political science. Demetrius' parents chose Elizabeth State University as they had offered free tuition based on his academic merit. After scoring straight A's in college, he applied for a legislative internship program at NC State. He and his parents were ecstatic when he was admitted into the program and that started his passion for government relations. How does Demetrius feel about minorities getting involved in government relations? Demetrius also says, your current situation does not have to be your final destination. Why does he state that? Here is Demetrius in the next episode of State Lobbying Heroes podcast. Hey, Demetrius, thanks for being on the show. Good morning, Deepak. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. It's truly an honor to be here with you this morning. Thank you for, you know, allowing me to do this. And more than anything, I'm hyper, I'm excited, and I'm ready to have this conversation with you. Thank you for what you do. And yeah, let's get it going, man. <laughs> let's get into the rapid fire set of questions. Okay. Um, what three skills you think are essential for someone to be a good lobbyist? Got you. So some of the three skills that I would say, number one, is you definitely have to have a great personality. Um, so that includes your communication styles, your integrity, honesty, you know, can you build relationships, that type of thing. Also, I would say the ability to understand the issues from both sides and being able to articulate the issue uh, from the perspective of your clients. And more than anything, I would say that a imperative skill is understanding the legislative process, of course. But more than anything, I would probably just say your relationships. You got to have relationships if you're going to be successful. You got to be able to argue on both sides of the issue and understand understand exactly, you know, why this legislator may be against the bill, why this legislator may be for the bill, and trying to find the good medium in between those two and trying to come out with the best output for your uh, clientele or whoever the entity is that you represent. Mm -hmm. And when you got into the field of lobbying, um, was there any surprising element which you felt like, oh, wow, this I didn't expect? So when I first joined and started as a lobbyist, I had already been an intern for three years. So I was blessed to be able to be an intern with a representative from Forsyth County, um, a former representative now. His name was Edward Haynes Jr. out of uh, Winston-Salem. So he was a perfect uh, a boss for me because he allowed me to get a very front row seat to everything. So he wasn't the type that would say, hey, go grab me a coffee, go grab me lunch, you know, respond to this person. He had me with him in every single committee. He had me with him, you know, during those late night sessions. And also, you know, he gave me the option because at the time I was in graduate school at UNCG and still working here in Raleigh. He gave me the option of do you want to go ahead and leave and do some homework or do you want to stay and get some background information? So because of him and the experiences that I had, those late night sessions, I didn't really have any uh, surprises, honestly. Um, if there was anything that was a surprise, I would say it is, you know, it's not really a surprise because I knew what happened, but I had just never been in it. 
So those backroom conversations before a bill goes to the floor or before a bill goes to a committee. So now that I'm a lobbyist, those are the things that I enjoy. But um, it wasn't a surprise per se, but just a getting the, getting the experience of how it actually goes when you're actually at the table negotiating the language of a bill, negotiating who's going to be the sponsors, co-sponsors, you know, who's going to champion and run the bill. You know, those are the things that were an, um, a surprise for me just to, you know, see how much actually went into it. But, you know, my my internship prepared me very, very much for it. So thank you to Representative Ed Haynes and thank you to North Carolina State University for affording me that opportunity as well. That's cool. And um, I'm a moderate minority, like you just said. And why do you think it is important for the minority to be in government relations? Definitely. And Deepak, thank you so much for that question. So one of the things that sparked my interest in government was because, for one, I'm from northeastern North Carolina. You know, that is an area that is not the, not very affluent if we're being candid. Um, so I knew that everything that was happening over there could be fixed, but it just would take some government intervention and some government um, enactment, if you will. But for me, the reason that the thing that kept me in government relations was because when I first started back in 2015, early 2015, I did not see a lot of people that looked like me, um, not counting, you know, members of the Legislative Black Caucus, but as a lobbyist, I would sometimes be very much the only person in there that was of color. Um, and you're talking about a Black male, Black female, or a Black person in general. I was really one of the only ones. But in those committees, so much was discussed. You know, we're talking appropriations, we're talking environment, we're talking so many social issues that impact us, especially dealing with education and everything. Um, so it just sparked something in me because I'm like, they are discussing issues that are very pertinent to us as a people, but we're not in here. Now, of course, you know, a legislator is supposed to represent your interests, but there's only a, so much a legislator can do because they have so much on their plate. You know, as a lobbyist, and this is something I pride myself on doing, I love to be available whenever another minority has a question about something policy related. And, you know, a lot of minorities don't even partake in their civic duty when it comes to voting. And, you know, so that is one of the things I pride myself on, you know, being in the room, being able to understand the issues and being able to articulate to people, hey, they're voting on this issue and this is how it's going to impact you. Also, hey, you might want to vote because you have a member that completely is against everything that you stand for. And my motto always has been since I started from that very day. And this has been my motto ever since. If you are not in the room and you are not at the table, there is a very good possibility that your interests and yourself as a person are on the menu to be chopped up. So that is why I believe in being present. I believe in being active. And I tell everyone, even if you don't you know, agree with everything that happens in that building, the least you can do is be active in understanding what's happening and you know, knowing who you're voting for be voiceless if you're a voiceless people you're a hopeless people don't be that way you know apathy is some of the is one of the worst things that we have in the minority community and you know i definitely want to try to encourage people to be more active mm -hmm. and how would you change that right i mean um would you try to instill that while they're in in high school or how would you change that perspective like you know how would the minorities feel that they need to be a part of it 
Definitely. So Depe, um, and I know I um, probably didn't mention this before. So outside of what I do lobbying, I'm also an adjunct professor at St. Augustine's University. And any person that knows me, they know I have a passion like no other for historically black colleges and universities because I'm a graduate of one. So, you know, one of the ways that we can reverse all of this is simply by having that conversation. You know, I know that times are different now. I was, when I was brought up, when, I, when we went to go vote, when we went to do the census, I had to go at least four or five times. I went with my mom and dad, my uncle and my aunt, my grandfather and my grandmother and my neighbors. And all of them would say the same exact thing. And it's not just me. We're talking the whole neighborhood kids would pile up in a van and go. They would say the entire same thing is, you know, this is important. You want to be counted. You want your voice to be heard. And, you know, that is something I tell my students now. Now, granted, I'm on the, co on the collegiate level. But still, you'll be surprised how many people have that notion of my voice doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. It doesn't make a difference. But, you know, and a lot of people don't even know your tax dollars are paying somebody's salary. And, you know, you ought to see the, the face that I get every single time I say that. I'm like, yeah, that tax that you just paid, that's going towards that legislator that's making 13000 That's going to that Congress member that's making 100000 That's going to the governor and every other elected official. So don't you think you want to be involved with it? And, you know, you're young. That's what I tell my students. You're young. Your future is going to depend on what they do. So, you know, that is, you know, just the things that we do in that in my class, at least we spark the interest. We have the very difficult conversations. We look at very good societal issues. And more than anything, it's just me being present. And I hope and I know a lot of others do it as well. So um, some people like my mentor, Courtney Crowder, and my boss, Courtney Crowder, and other individuals, Johnny Tillett, and many other people, we are visible and we serve as that platform of, hey, we do this. So understand that it does matter. There is nothing that I enjoy more than going to an elementary school, going to a high school, going to a middle school, or, you know, when I go back home to Northeastern North Carolina, going to people's churches, their, you know, youth day events, and talking about these matters. And it's amazing, like, not even just kids, but grown people that, you know, want to hear, like, that they matter. You know, during my time when I was working in local government, I've seen elections where one vote would have made a difference. And, you know, it's just having those conversations. We can change that by having the conversations, presenting opportunities for internships, you know, just having making people have a front row seat and just further discussing everything. And, you know, I know everybody has an opinion about politics, but more than anything, subject matter experts like myself, Courtney Crowder and many others going out into these communities saying, hey, you look like you could might have a future in this and just showing them that it's an option that is possible because I didn't know that I would be doing this and this is a dream come true and, you know, not to bring Jesus into it, but then nothing but the good Lord got me where I am and I will tell anybody that. Um, so, you know, I just want to tell people that it is possible, spark their interest and let them know that many of the issues that you face can be addressed in the state building or in Congress. Mm -hmm. And um, what is the one thing you would want your family to remember about you? Wow. So deep, and I know we'll probably talk about this later on, but the one thing I would want my family to remember is, and you know, I was blessed to be able to have a mom and dad that loved me like no other. You know, I was blessed to be for more reasons than one, the only child, you know, in multiple households in my family. So the one thing I would want them to remember is I saw what they went through to, um, to raise me in Northeastern North Carolina, you know, and, you know, I'm a first, I know we'll talk about this in the, in the, later on in the segment, but I'm a first generation college kid. I am the son of two correctional officers. 
that was born and raised in Northampton County, where we don't even have a grocery store. We have to go outside of the county just to have a grocery store. So the one thing I want my family members to, to remember about me is I saw your struggle. I honor that struggle every single day when I'm up at 530 in the morning. Every action that I do is to make sure that you guys know your actions and your sacrifices. They meant the world to me. They got me where I am. And um, not to even get emotional, but I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for you all. And, you know, to my younger cousins that I set the, that set the pace for, I would just want them to know if I can do it, you can do it. You know, put God in every single thing that you do. Don't wait for a handout. Literally get up every single day and push for excellence. Do what others are not willing to do and shine bright as, as you can. You know, complacency and being average is not what we do in this family anymore. You know, that is a generational curse that I'm so happy that I broke. You know, poverty, alcoholism, so many other generational curses that were passed down for years. All of those ran out when it came to us. So from this point forward, and, you know, so many of my little cousins now are in college and they are doing very, very well. I want them to know that this is the standard now. There is no other option other for you to achieve excellence because that is what we do now. And to my mom, my dad, my uncle and my aunt, I thank y'all. You know, my dad had his heart attack and had to come out of work. When my mom had to work two jobs for me, when my uncle and aunt had to help me out by trying to take care of me while, you know, we took a $65,000 cut to our household, I honored that struggle. And I promise every single day I will push myself beyond my limitations. I don't care if I'm tired. Y'all will never, ever have to worry about, you know, how are you going to make it again? And don't worry about the future generations because I'm setting the bar high. And in East, Northeast and North Carolina, every child will know that they have an option and an opportunity to go to college and a chance to be greatness. And their current situation does not have to be their final destination. Wow. Very well said. What is the best advice you've ever gotten? Yeah, some of the best advice, you know, my uncle told me this for years, you know, Deepak, being raised in Northeast and North Carolina, when you don't have affluence, you know, it's not a Raleigh. When you don't have, you know, money, counties barely have enough dollars just to keep the lights on. When you're raised in an area where, you know, parents are struggling to put food on the table and so many other issues, you know, there are problems that are very prevalent there. You know, you're going to see problems galore. <laughs> so to say the least, you know, one of the best pieces of advice is what, that I ever got from my uncle was to leave people in your rearview mirror. You know, he will always sit me down. You know, when my father got sick and he had to focus on his health, you know, having a major heart attack is major. And, you know, I had to witness that as a child. But more than anything, I always just tell people you can separate yourself. Like sometimes you have to isolate yourself to elevate yourself. And that is perfectly fine. And more than anything, you know, your current situation does not have to be your final destination. And that has been something that has been in my blood and my mind forever. So that is my advice to people. Well, that was a good insight into a bit into your off-the-cuff questions. Let's go a little bit into your past. Um, I know you've told me about a little bit about your childhood. Can you tell us where did you grow up and you know what sparked your interest in politics? Definitely. So I love telling this story. So I grew up in a little small town in northeastern North Carolina um, called Conway, North Carolina, which is located in Northampton County. But because of the fact that we didn't have a grocery store or anything like that, I tell everybody I grew up in Runner Rapids because if I wanted something to eat, if I wanted, you know, to hit a restaurant, if I wanted to even go to a grocery store, that's where I had to go. 
So I literally grew up 20 miles east of Runnit Rapids, um, which is, again, northeastern North Carolina. And what sparked my interest in government was the fact that I hated mathematics with a passion. <laughs> like, I love telling this story. I, I hated math with a passion. I was a straight A student. But if I can get a B or a C in mathematics, I'll walk out with my head held high. <laughs> However, in um, now high school, I started to notice that I had a passion for history. I had a passion for debate class. I had a passion for English. And I really, really love civics and economics. I loved everything that dealt with government. So we're talking your American national government, your you know national government, international government, all those things. Um, I found a really good passion in it. And I was truly a top performer in the class. It got to the point that the teacher told me like I couldn't perform anymore or I couldn't say anything in class because I was answering every question and my colleagues were leaning on me. Um, so... And again, I'm a first generation college kid. So my teacher, who I actually talked to for the first time in like 14 years, I talked to her this past week for teacher appreciation, a teacher appreciation week. She pulled me to the side and said, you know, you're really good at this. I'm like, I, I enjoy it. It's fun. I look forward to this class. And she was like, you know, do you want to go to college? I'm like, well, my mom and dad have told me I don't have a choice. So I would love to. Yes. But I have no idea how to do it or anything like that. And she asked, have I declared a major? I didn't even know what a major was, but I was like, no, I have not because I don't know what it is. She said a major is basically what you go to school to study, your minors, what supports that major. I was like, oh, cool. She said, you need to major in political science. I'm like, I know what science is. So I'm guessing this is the study of politics and government. She said precisely. And that's how it sparked. You know, I've always had a love for it. And, you know, when you grow up in the rural area and then you see how, you know, the Raleigh's and, you know, other areas have more affluence than your area. You start to ask why and, you know, what happens? You know, I didn't know what commerce was at the time. I didn't know anything about taxes or how population increases and influxes and whatnot. But, you know, it sparked an interest in me. And that's literally how I got here. The rest of it is just history. We'll, and I know we'll um, talk about that later on. But, yeah. And um, I know you chose bachelor's in political science in Elizabeth State University. Yes. So why did you pick that college? And um, can you tell a little bit as to, you know, what kind of courses did you like there? Yeah, definitely. So um, just to backtrack a little bit, I have been in marching band since I was six. I was in sixth grade. Um, my band director, Mr. Ferdinand Cooper, who is still become like still one of my best brothers, my best friends. And it has been well, at least almost 20 years. He took us around like the state. He took us like honestly across, around the country. So we had this saying in band, you know, we said, if you join the band, you see the land. And, you know, there's a whole saying about, you know, band being life, which is mm -hmm. what it was. So every day it was band practice. Every Saturday we were at somebody's game. Every Friday we had our own game, things like that. So I knew I was going to go to an HBCU if I was going anywhere. You know, I, I have a deep appreciation for my PWI institutions, NC State and UNCG. But me being a first generation college kid, the son of two correctional officers, I didn't know what I could be until I got to my HBCU. When I was surrounded by black excellence, when I was taught what black excellence means, when I started to actually look into like the historical context of why we have those institutions and the, the very personal relationships that you build, because some of the people that I went to undergrad with, and it's been, shoot, almost 11 years now, 
you know, we're still like the best of friends. And um, I know that we have already talked about this, but Elizabeth City State just put me on their board of visitors yesterday. Um, so it's funny, like all those individuals who saw me before I was Mr. Suit and Tie, now they're like, wow, like, brother, you are killing it. And um, to be completely candid, I was growing up, um, now Grant, mind, mind you, I knew I was going to be a March band. I knew the university had to have a political science program and I knew it had to be HBCU. So those were the three factors. And, you know, I was a first generation college kid, so I didn't want to go too far from my mom and dad. So, you know, I was looking at Virginia State University. I was definitely looking at a and I was looking at Central Norfolk State University, looked at Fayetteville State. And, you know, on a wish and a dream, but I knew I didn't want to go too far. I even looked at Howard. So, you know, those were the institutions. And, you know, I may have limited myself a little bit, but, you know, I was learning and navigating this journey on my own and blazing my own trail. Uh, so I got accepted into all of them. Um, I didn't ever I did never apply to Howard because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to D.C. Let me stay close to my parents in case something goes wrong. But um, what really happened was and I never forget it. We were at the Double Tree in Rocky Mount having a college night. Now, me and all my friends were at the North Carolina A&T table celebrating, just happy that we got in, talking about how we want to room together and everything like that. Did not see my parents at the Elizabeth City State University table. They had my transcripts. So Elizabeth City came to my parents and said, you know what, your son, we'll give it to him four years for free. So my mom signed my first name and my dad signed my last name. <laughs> they came over to the table and said, hey, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're going over there because they're giving it to you for free. So go make you some friends. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but it wound up being the best decision ever. So Elizabeth City State University is literally an hour from my driveway um, at my parents' house. Um, it was a very small, intimate setting um, where it was maybe like 15 or 20 of us in the uh, classroom at a time. So that allowed for me to have a very good personal relationship with my professors. And I will shout this to the heavens until the day I, that God calls me home. Dr. Marjorie Colson Clark, who is still alive and well, was the best professor I have ever had because that woman pushed me to excellence. We're talking 10 page papers every single week, having to do oral arguments. And literally, you know, she saw so much potential in me. And yet and still, she still, you know, we were at an HBCU setting, so she prepared me for what I was going to see. And mind you, she's an international uh, teacher, and she was born and raised, or not born, but she was, you know, spent a good chunk of her time in Kentucky. So she was like, I can tell you, you're going to see a lot of stuff. And I did not know what stuff was at the time, but she said, you're going to see a lot of stuff if you want to be a black man in politics in the South. So she's like, let me prepare you because you have to be the best of the best. There is no option. And it worked perfectly. That's, that's really an amazing story. And what made you move on? I see like you've also chosen something in North Carolina State University, again, in political science. So yeah. did you decide that, you know, I wanted to pursue this further and you decided like this is where I want to be? Yeah. So you remember how I told you earlier like Jeremiah 29 11 is my favorite verse because it talks about how God has a plan for your life. Mm -hmm. Like certain things just align perfectly for me. So while at Elizabeth city, you know, I got straight A's. I had a 3.6 GPA or something like that. Um, they told me I had the option to graduate early. Um, in 2014, December, they said, if you want, you can graduate early. Then we started, I was considering that. Um, and then a week later, the career um, advancement, 
whatever the career services people are in um, Elizabeth City, they sent out this thing called the North Carolina State University Legislative Internship Program. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, first generation college kid, never left Eastern North Carolina, you know, and some of my friends were even like, you know, D, I don't know if that might seem like a stretch, but something told me just to apply. And I put my heart and soul into the application. And I was like, you know what? And, you know, going back to that question about some of the best advice that you ever got, my old, my other professor, who was also my band director, Mr. Jos or Dr. Josiah J. Sampson, he told me you miss 100 percent of the shots that you don't take. So he told me that again. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. We're going to see what happens. The worst they could tell me is no. So went forward and I was in Los Angeles on vacation at the time. My like second time going to Los Angeles, just taking a nice little vacay. They called me and were like, hey, we want you to come over here and do dual enrollment and be in our internship program at NC State. I was like, oh, now, manager, I, did, I was it took me a minute to grasp what they had just said. <laughs> so and manager, I did not know how any of this was going to work. I had I didn't even know what dual enrollment was, <laughs> but um, they were like, yeah, can you be here on Monday? I was like, oh, crap. Today is Thursday. I'm in Los Angeles. Yes. Let me change my flight plan. <laughs> so um, changed the flight plan, came back. I called my dad and my mom. I was like, uh, that internship I went for, they want me. And they're like, holy crap, really? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, all of these things just started to line up. And it just made me think that God really did have a purpose for me in this profession. Mm -hmm. So I went to NC State, did very well, had um, 18 credit hours total. So Dr. two of my um, professors were Dr. McLennan, who is, um, I think, still at Meredith, and Dr. Tony Solari, who's a lobbyist now. Those are my professors. And I also interned with uh, Senator Gladys Robinson out of uh, Guilford County during that time. Um, being honest, I have all respect for the Senate, but I love the House of Representatives so much more. Mm -hmm. So now um, I did very well at NC State, graduated with both with um, all A's um, in both classes, got the internship experience and went back to Elizabeth City to graduate. So my degree is from Elizabeth City State University. But on my transcript, you see that the spring semester of my senior year, I have credits from NC State that transferred over. So the 3.8, whatever it is that I bought back from NC State, tagged on to my GPA at Elizabeth City, which has also allowed me to graduate with higher honors. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. and I do see also you went on to get a master's degree in public affairs at I UNC. Did. So out of all this college experience, what is the one thing that you learned, which you are currently applying in your current job? I, honestly, truly deep back, I learned so much. Like there's like almost impossible to like just talk about everything. But I would say that the one thing that I did learn is that the only limitations that exist are the ones that you put on yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just through life experiences, through every single thing else, like going to get the master's. Now, mind you, you know, from my area, if you get the bachelor's, you're golden. Like you're talking about going to get another degree even further within the state. So, you know, that was the one thing I learned is like connect with people that can tell you everything that you need to know. So you don't have to, you know, make this journey on your own. So I'm thankful for all the mentors that I had, you know, the Johnny Tillits of the world, you know, the Ann Harris's and the Courtney Crowder's that told me, like, this is what it's going to take. And, you know, I'm thankful for Ed Haynes, who was my former boss, because of the fact that I didn't know what it took to do to be a lobbyist. But he, they told me, like, if you want to be a superstar, you know, you might need something stronger than that bachelor's to give you more weight. And, you know, lo and behold, UNCG, was, they accepted me, did very well. 
you know, that was the struggle phase of my life, honestly. So living in Greensboro, working in Raleigh during that time, it was the super Republican majority. So we had to deal with eight hours of hardcore politics and then go an hour and a half back to Greensboro to be in class every night for four hours. Like you're talking about a very deep struggle. But the one thing to answer your question, I would say, is if you want it bad enough, you'll make a way. I made good friends with coffee. I got adjusted to only getting three or four hours of sleep. And, you know, now all of my Republican colleagues and friends and Democrats as well, they can nobody can say I took a handout. I grinded. I worked. I toiled whatever word that deals with hard labor that you want to use. I did it. And, you know, that's the lesson now. Nothing is going to be handed to you. So go forward and work for it. If you want it bad enough, you'll make a way. Nice. And with that, you moved on to being a legislative intern at the NCGA. How did yes. you get how did you get that position? And would you recommend that would be the first step for anyone getting into government relations that they should be an intern? Yeah. So, I mean, there are some people that like to just dive in head first as, you know, an analyst or something like that. But I would say to answer your first question, NC State, that's how I got the um, the legislative internship. But then, you know, I wanted more. You know, I had an experience. I had a good experience in the Senate, but I knew my parents are not major donors. I got to, like, stick out. So lo and behold, Ed Haynes had been watching me for years. This is why I tell everybody, always carry yourself with the highest dignity and, you know, always be prepared. So Representative Haynes and I connected and he was just like, you know, come work for me for a little while. Let's see what happens. I didn't know a little while was going to be three years while I was getting my my master's degree. But that internship taught me so much that, you know, I stepped in to my role as a lobbyist already having three years of experience, having the relationships with the legislators, having the relationships with other lobbyists, having the relationship with all the legislative aides and people that are in the uh, in the back room. So your bill drafting, your legislative analysis group, and more than anything, just having relationships everywhere. So I had those relationships. I didn't have to build them because they were already in place. Um, and of course, you know, Ed was very nice enough to let me get that opportunity. So thanks for him. And he was not the typical guy. I'll say that again. One of his assignments was every single week, I had to go find a different Republican to go be friends with. So, you know, he was the guy that liked to work across the aisle, which is how I became that way. Because, you know, you're, grow- you're born, you know, your parents tell you you're a Democrat, but then you start to see like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. And, you know, that's why I became an unaffiliated voter, because I agree with some stuff on the Republican side. I agree with some stuff on the Democratic side. And, you know, depending on the issue, that's the way my pendulum swings. So I would tell everybody and um, internships are an excellent way to get in. But, you know, they can give you an internship. But again, if they give you an internship and you just stay in the office, you're not really doing yourself a service because you can, you know, lick stamps and, you know, glue envelopes if you want. But you could be out here at some of these events and you're covered with the umbrella of an intern. So, you know, if you make a mistake, it's okay because you're an intern. You can make a mistake and still be good. But, you know, when you step out into that role as a lobbyist and you're representing these multi-hundred million dollar corporations and everything like that, there is no such thing as a mistake. So I would tell everybody, get the internships, you know, get whether it's paid or unpaid. You know, I I won't tell anybody, you know, to work for free for extended amounts of time. But while you're in there as an intern and you may or may not be getting paid, capitalize on every single opportunity. If there's an event, go to it. There's a legislator you don't know. Go see them in the office or walk walk and talk with them. There should like you just got to capitalize on these opportunities. And I will tell everybody to get an internship. 
whether if it's in government relations or whatever that profession is, you don't want to go in straight out of undergraduate without having some experience. Mm-hmm. And then you moved on to being a lobbyist at Trotman Sanders, mm-hmm. and then you also worked at the NC League of Municipalities. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of experiences did you gather there, which, you know, probably is a stepping stone for you to work right now at APCO? Yeah, so I came straight out of graduate school representing 12 or 13 private corporations at Trotman Sanders. Um, My title, I was a lobbyist, but my official title was legislative and regulatory analyst. So in that phase, that's where I learned about everything that deals with being a lobbyist, such as, you know, making sure the secretary of state knows that you are declared as a lobbyist for these individuals. That's where I was able to actually put into practice what I learned, you know, as an intern, which is why I tell everybody to get an internship, learn some stuff. So I was able to do the bill tracking. I was able to be in the room and have those conversations about can you how will you be voting on this? I was able to, you know, report to the clients about this is what the legislation does. This is how it's going to impact you. What position do you want to take? Or if it is your bill, just to provide updates on everything. So that was the experience at Troutman. And I'll be honest with you, you know, there are certain professions that are great for everyone. The law firm life was just not for me, honestly. Um, all respect to every person that does it, but you know, just a, it was just a law firm life that was not for me. Um, so I actually, you know, wound up having other opportunities, and I chose to work with the League of Municipalities um, because my concentration in graduate school was local government management. So I came in, loved the league. God knows I did. I really, really did. Like working with local governments, I was doing this thing called the. Um, MLE, municipal, MLT, municipal leadership trainings, where I would travel across the state. And you'll be surprised. Some people get elected and have not a single idea of what they're doing or how to do it. So that is where I would have the conversations. And mind you, these people are like double my age. I'm in a conference room with like two or 300 people, like just before COVID, talking about, you know, what government relations is, how imperative it is to work with your colleagues, to understand the issues, understanding like your ordinances, your charter, you know, having the relationships with your local officials, making sure that they understood like they can call on us at the league so that we can articulate their issues. We can, you know, help them with their legislative days, tell them who they need to see, all of those things. So that just gave me a very good, um, good indication and experience on how it is to work with so many different people. And with North Carolina being a state of 552 cities and towns, you know, every single one of them is different. So, of course, you know, the problems in the mountains are not going to be the same problems on the beaches. So in the mountains, they're worried about, you know, landslides, land usage, you know, things like that. At the beach, they're worried about, you know, we have too many drunk drivers or, you know, whenever it's tourist season, we can't even move around. So, you know, very different issues. Learn a lot. Like, my goodness, I cannot be I cannot begin to say how much I learned. But all of those experiences paid a very good dividend in my life and helped me to be where I am today. Very cool. And now you are right now at APCO. Can you tell us a little about APCO and what kind of responsibilities you have here? Absolutely. So I will be the first to tell you that I love working at APCO Worldwide. So number one, APCO, just to give you a very broad, very, very broad overview of it, APCO is a global public relations firm. So APCO is headquartered in D.C. Here in Raleigh, we are the kind of sort of like the hub for the southeastern region of the U.S. So we have offices all across the world. But here in America, we have offices here in Raleigh, D.C., we're headquarters, uh, New York, Chicago, Seattle and Los Angeles now. 
So Abco, we the way I tell everybody, I have not seen a thing that we don't do yet other than like political campaigns. So, you know, just to give an idea of what I mean. So APCO is involved with so many different things. So of course with myself, I am in government relations and advocacy. So that is where, you know, the lobbying and all of that, thing, all of those things happen, stakeholder engagement, things like that. But also APCO, and I pulled it up because I want to make sure that I give every department in this company a very good shout out. So APCO deals with marketing and communications, media relations and training. We have a very robust creative department. And these guys are artists. It's like my colleague, Brendan Ward, he can create one of the best PDFs or presentations or anything in that caliber. Um, so they also in creative, they deal with advertising, content creation, storytelling, videography, everything. Uh, we have digital who also deals with um, anthro. What is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they deal with um, targeting uh, employee advocacy, some of everything. Also, we deal with research strategy, advisory, create crisis issues and litigation management, corporate communications, and again, marketing. So, yeah, and under each of these bullet points, there are at least seven or eight things and tasks that we specialize in. So, of course, I just tell everyone there is nothing that we don't do. And, you know, here you don't just get me as one of the lead lobbyists here in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. I come with an army. So there is, is nothing for me to pick up a phone and call some of my colleagues in D.C. or New York and say, hey, you specialize in crisis and litigation. I need help on this client. Help me out. So that's why I tell everybody with APCO, like here you get an army with us. It's not just me as a lobbyist, but can I help you? do some surveying? Can I help you do some content creation? Can I help you with your website? You know, can I help you with your corporate comms? You know, that is why I never know what my day is going to look like. And that is what excites me. So yes, I do GR, but I'm learning so much about every single thing else that we do. And these are some of the best, the brightest, and some of the nicest people in the world I have ever worked with. <clears throat> well, that's a really good insight as to, you know, what you do at APCO. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of policies do you work with and uh, what is the most exciting thing you've worked on at APCO? Yeah, so some of the policies that we deal with, we are, again, we're such a global company that our hands are in so much of everything. So, of course, you know, what my colleagues in India and Shanghai deal with is a little bit different over here. But for me personally, I deal with some of the issues that are in um, transportation, aviation. Um, I don't deal with this issue, but we do deal with healthcare. Um, I also deal with food processing, renewable energy, um, and a bunch more. So just doing like some tracking, helping people gain insight on individuals that they're going to need to know as they try to make an impact or an imprint here in North Carolina and elsewhere. And to be honest with you, because I do government relations, you know, I get I work with my colleagues in all across the country on different things. So it's not really a sole issue that I work on, but I just do know that I don't work on healthcare. Thank goodness for my other colleagues to do that. But yeah, um, it's a lot of things that we have our hands in. And um, when you say you're worldwide, so you're not just handling um, North Carolina policies. Is this like across the world? I mean, is that is that a part of your responsibility as well? Well, if I get a phone call from like, let's say JJ Lee, who leads our Shanghai office and she needs assistance, my answer is going to be yes. That is the beautiful thing about working with a global company. When you specialize in something, 
it's nothing for them to give you a call. And of course, you know, they're, I think, 13 hours ahead of us. Um, so JJ calls and it's like 11 o'clock at night, I'm going to answer. Um, so yeah, some of the issues that we do with are international um, because of the fact that we have offices in so many different places. I want to say we have 32 different offices um, throughout the world. So we deal with a lot, honestly. And um, while, of course, I'm, I've only been here for coming up on two years, so I haven't been, and of course, the pandemic and a 14-month legislative session, I haven't been able to dive deep on, you know, what kind of issues I can be involved with. But we touch issues all throughout the world, and APCO is a very renowned and robust company. And um, let's jump into the future, right? Yeah. Um, where do you see yourself and uh, in the next couple of years? And um, how do you see the future faring well with the North Carolina politics? Yeah, one thing about North Carolina is because of the fact that outside, there are some states that specialize and that are known for stuff. We're known for barbecue. And North Carolina will always be one of those states that every four years, all eyes are on North Carolina when it comes to presidential elections, government elections. So North Carolina's government environment will always be very prevalent because of the fact that it's North Carolina, we're purple, we're a swing state, what is North Carolina gonna do? You know, and of course, because of the policies that we have in place right now, we are growing like no other. Like we have, I wanna say 10 million people in our state now and we're growing. Like mind you, APCO, I'm sorry, not APCO, <laughs> Apple and all these other corporations aren't even here yet, but because of the, the fiscal friendly and business friendly environment that we have, companies are flocking here left and right you know, think about how much commerce that we were gaining, like out in Greensboro, how they just got the new jet company, how we have Apple already coming. And every single week, it seems like Governor Cooper is sending something that says this company is coming and going to bring, you know, $100 million, 200 jobs, things like that. So there will always be a very good, bright future for the state of North Carolina. We are going to continue to grow. Um, the legislators do an excellent job, you know, attracting people to North Carolina. You know, education wise, we have some of the best universities. We have the best HBCUs in the country here. We have the largest land grant HBCU in the country here. You know, North Carolina is going to be fine. That's why I love the state. And, you know, uh, of course, you know, people always say, why don't you look at D.C.? Why don't you look at like Texas? Um, love those places, love to visit those places. But North Carolina will always be home. And as far as the future for me, I don't ever plan on leaving government relations. Um, this is an addiction to me for some reason. And, you know, I'm blessed to not even be 30 years old yet. And I found a profession that I wake up every single day. Like I can't wait to get to work. I don't need my alarm clock. I just wake up at 5 a.m., 5.30, hit the gym, you know, read my devotionals, have a good prayer. And then by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm ready to roll. I'm like, okay, what's the legislature got going on today? Which legislator do I need to go see? Which client has a problem? Who do I need to go have lunch with? What relationship can I build today? So I plan on staying in government relations. I just plan to excel, to continue to grow, to continue to grow my capacity, my knowledge, and just, you know, the sky's the limit. And to be honest with you, that my favorite scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's going to forever be my path. You know, God is going to order my steps and I'm just going to go wherever opportunity is at. And that's really it. You know, we'll take it day by day, but I don't ever plan on leaving GR and I don't ever plan to stop being a gay college professor. Because I love having these engagement conversations with my students, 
teaching them things. And I absolutely love going back home to Northeastern North Carolina and everywhere else to continue to advocate for uh, education, to continue to advocate for opportunities and growth. And, you know, just to tell people like, yes, we all have experienced something growing up that was detrimental to our future, but we don't have to stay there. We don't have to let that be what stops us and deters us. And I listened to something from Eric Thomas this morning and he was talking about let that pain be what drives you. So whatever you're experiencing at home and whatever that you don't like that you've seen, I use it for myself. Use it for use it for your advantage. Let that push you to stay up and apply for colleges. Let that push you to go to community college and get a trade. Let that push you to find a six six figure job that you really, really want. Let that push you to go out and do something with your life. But more than anything, let that push you to do what I do. And that's to go back home and grab and pull another brother or another sister up with you and tell them like, hey, this is not what you're supposed to be doing in life. Go forward and do greatness and I will help you. Well, you, Demetrius, are a very passionate uh, individual. And thank you so much for spending this 30 to 40 minutes with me. Uh, please keep inspiring us and all the best in your future. Definitely. Thank you so much for what you do, Deepak. I would love to continue to have these dialogues with you. Thank you for what you do. And to everyone else that's out there, continue to achieve excellence. And I'm just so grateful for where I am right now in my life. But I know that this is not my ceiling. I still have so much more to do and so much more I want to accomplish. And this is just the beginning. So let's see what we become. And I appreciate everyone's love, support. And just thank you for being, thank you for this time today. It means the world to me. All right. Take care, Demetrius. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of State Lobbying Heroes with Demetrius. Please do rate the podcast on your favorite platforms. Take care until next time.